Welcome to the Brown Posey Press Show, part of the BookSpeak Network, a program dedicated to independent and self-published authors. This show will examine new and unique works of literature, learn about their creators, and discuss the industry. And now your host, Tori Gates. My guest today is an actor, educator, playwright, librettist, publisher, and a U.S. cultural goodwill ambassador. Ronald Rand may be best known for Let It Be Art, a one-man show that he has performed around the world. He is also the author of the Brown Posey release, Solo Transformation on Stage, a journey into the organic process of the art of transformation. Ronald, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Tori. It's so nice to actually have the chance to speak to you, and uh, it's so nice to be on the Brown Posey Press Show. It's a joy and a thrill, and I really appreciate it. Well, I'm really anticipating this because uh, I've enjoyed, uh, you know, being on stage myself in very small ways. And I really identified with quite a bit of what you were talking about uh, throughout this book, because a lot of this is kind of like a how-to in terms of what you do uh, to get ready mm-hmm. to go on stage. And I think it's 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 a guide. It's like a nice guide for even either the novice actor or the seasoned actor. And uh, was that your idea when you started writing this book? Was 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 it a guide? Was it just a, a how-to? Or how did you want to do it? Well, it's a funny thing because I actually didn't think I was going to be writing a book. And here I was sequestered during the pandemic. And uh, I, I my show, my tours were shut down. I couldn't go anywhere like everyone else in the theater. And uh, I, I had to find a way to maybe share um, some of what I do. And uh, so I had absolutely no idea how it would turn out and what it was really going to be about. But I uh, sort of got the idea that it had to be about transformation, which is what I believe in and what I do on stage and off. And, and it happens to all of us, of course, and how it affects us. And and it so it began to just a sort of roll on its own. And I said, well, maybe I can talk about what I do and maybe it will lead to something else. And then I began to explore uh, what others have said about it. And of course, um, the big motivating forces in my life, people that I studied with, like Stella Adler, who was one of the greatest acting teachers of all time, and Harold Clerman, both whom I talk about in the book. And then it took me uh, into other avenues about what it is that really impels us to go forward in our lives, the passion that we have to have to accomplish something, uh, to make a difference in this world, and the courage it takes. And then I I thought about, you know, what is it that is a genuine impulse? Uh, And I thought about a a very good friend of mine, and I actually have his quote in front of me, um, Andre Gregory. I'm sure a lot of people know about that movie, My Dinner with Andre, yes. with him and Wallace Shawn. And uh, he actually, uh, uh, I had interviewed Andre Gregory uh, very much like that dinner with Andre. We actually went out to lunch uh, for two hours uh, when I interviewed him for my newspaper, The Soul of the American Actor. And we ended up doing two lunches for four hours. <laughs> so it became my lunch with Andre. And uh, he says, in uh, we were talking about what, about trying to find the truthful impulse to not do what you should do or ought to do or what is expected of you, but trying to find what it is that you really want to do or need to do or have to do. And so that spoke to me uh, because that's really how my my solo play came about and how everything that I've created in my life is because of this enormous 
a need and desire to create it. And doesn't that say everything about uh, what we do, whether we are performers, singers, musicians, authors? It's like there is that thing in us that just says there is something in us that needs to come out. And there is it's a human it's human nature to create and to to express and stuff like that. And sometimes it's really powerful. It can be, uh, of course, when we are deciding to create a solo play or have the courage to say we have something that's important to say or something that's fun to say that we'd like to share, whether it's personal experiences or we're going to bring someone else to life, however uh, this particular show is going to occur, there has to be this great uh, passion uh, that uh, has to come and then it's got to be molded and shaped Mm-hmm. into something that actually people will enjoy watching and not, and not be bored by. And that's an art unto itself. And so as I was working on this book, I uh, decided to see how I could uh, guide uh, someone along that path. But I also wanted to introduce, uh, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about uh, the different artists, uh, solo performers, that are in my book, you know, people from Christopher Plummer to Ben Vereen to, yes. um, you know, Marga Gomez and Julie Harris about how and, and why they did what they did. So um, I've had the great experience, you know, being the founder and publisher of my own newspaper, The Soul of the American Actor, and, and right now in the 23rd year. And I've, um, I've been able to interview over 1,500 artists over the years and uh, being a member of the Drama Desk in New York, um, going to seven, eight shows a week over a period of 10 more years. And, you know, I've been going to plays ever since I was a child. So uh, you get to see a lot of solo shows and, um, and it does have an enormous impact on you. Speaking of the solo performance, you begin by discussing the history of it dating back to ancient Greece, and I didn't know this part about it. Could you sh- share a little of that with us about where this sort of thing began or how its its earliest roots? Well, what is so fascinating about it, and um, I always found interesting when I went to Greece, of course, and, and went to Epidaurus, where it all began, where theater began, mm. but I, I had to talk about uh, in a sense, uh, you might say the first time a holy person or a shaman might have stood up uh, and acted out a ceremony uh, and embodied a spirit or a deity or an animal. And in a sense, they were reenacting uh, this uh, mysterious connection to the supernatural. And they, you might say, became, became possessed. And so they can tr- could uh, uh, transcend time. Uh, they entered into this different dimension. And uh, in this trance-like state, um, which some people refer to like a shadow world of the spirits, they would receive a vision of truth. And in a sense, that was how you might say this all began. And of course, it was carried forth into the period of the Greeks and um, the first actor. Some of them refer to him as Thespis. Um, Some think of him that maybe he was a producer or a director or an actor, but he stood and separated himself and began to speak. And so he became, uh, you might say, the first solo actor in the show um, uh, to speak. Uh, and so that began that began the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. And, and it is fascinating, especially when you get a chance to go to Greece and stand on some of those stages. Um, I just went to Delphi 
where the oracle spoke. And to be in that kind of atmosphere, it really, really connects you to something very mysterious and eternal. That's sort of, it's sort of like it wakes up, it wakes up the echoes, maybe. It's like you're standing there and it's like you're not alone. Very true. And, um, and, and it feels that way always um, for me as a solo artist. Um, and, that, and I talk about that because um, in the theater where we call ourselves, we're part of a tribe. Mm-hmm. And um, I talk about that in a particular chapter call, I call Moments of Depth of some of the great uh, performers that have come before us. And, and I talk about this deep well that we can draw upon as actors. And we also, as human beings, have this deep well to draw upon. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's all connected to us uh, being human beings, uh, this, this well that we can use, use that strength and that great passion from. Mm-hmm. Well, let us get into Let It Be Art and the character you play, Harold Clerman. Now, you talked about studying under this man, and you bring this very much larger-than-life fellow, uh, you know, to life on that on that stage. And tell me about this gentleman. Well, uh, Harold Clerman was uh, certainly one of the most amazing most passionate human beings you would ever meet in your life. And uh, it takes an enormous amount of energy and passion to to embody him. And um, I do have to say at the onset, uh, forgive me, I, I don't play him as a character. I embody him as a human being. And, okay. and that's the difference, because that's what I go through in the sense of the two and a half hour transformation that occurs in what I call the creation room, not a dressing room. And that's when I allow Harold Clerman to come and for want of a better phrase, enter me. And so he goes out into his apartment, uh, coming back from uh, having seen a show in Brooklyn at the uh, Brooklyn Academy of Music. And he doesn't come on a stage. He comes into his apartment. Um, That's the difference. And that's how I embody him. Now, Harold Clerman, I was very fortunate to study with him when I just got out of high school at age 17 and a half, which was one of the most um, life-changing moments you can imagine. But um, at that point, he was still teaching. And he, of course, had previously, um, after he had decided what he wanted to do in his life, and he was one of those individuals that wasn't sure, uh, he just started talking about his passion for the theater and he met Lee Strasberg and Cheryl Crawford, um, who eventually together uh, created uh, one of America's, uh, certainly one of the world's greatest theaters of all time, the Group Theater. It was born in 1931, and he literally talked it into existence. And w- it went on to change the course of the American theater, uh, because what they did for the first time, like the Moscow Art Theater, they put on stage, you might say, breathing life into these human beings uh, in the situation of the plays that they were bringing to life, whether it was Clifford Odette's Awake and Sing or Paradise Lost or some of the marvelous plays that they uh, created at that time, including their first play, The House of Connolly. And uh, what was also astounding is that in the company, you had actors, people like Stella Adler and Sandy Meisner and Bobby Lewis and Fran Chatone, who became a very famous movie star, and John Garfield, uh, who became uh, was an intern at the beginning, like Ilya Kazan, 
And of course, Garfield went on to become a famous movie star and Kazan went on to become one of the greatest directors of all time. But Clerman uh, always said later on in his life, that was really those 10 years was just one small part of my life. He went on to become what's considered America's greatest drama critic. Um, and uh, Arthur Miller attested to that. And of course, he went on to become one of America's greatest directors, um, uh, directing 40 of the most important plays on Broadway that were ever done. And he directed Marlon Brando in his first adult part. And he also wrote some of the most important theater books of all time on directing in the fervent years. So he had a very varied background. But as I said, there was no one more passionate about the theater than Harold Clerman. Mm -hmm. And I think you are right when you uh, talk about the embodiment, because, you know, from speaking to you, it's one thing, but watching that performance, yes, exactly that. It's like you become the vessel for whatever is going to come in and whatever he's going to give you and, and you put up on stage, right? Yes, uh, I do have to uh, invite him to come and I never know how or when it will happen during the process. Um, and I go into that in the book, uh, in the creation room as I'm putting on the makeup uh, to uh, begin the process and I'm eventually going to get into his clothing because I don't, you know, consider it a costume. I don't wear a costume. I, it is his clothing. And actually, I was gifted um, a duplicate uh, by a drama critic, uh, Stephen Schoer, who had gone to the theater with Harold Clerman together. And Clerman always wore this magnificent cape and his fedora and was very well dressed up when he attended the theater. So Stephen wanted to uh, get the same exact cape that Clerman wore and together they would go to the theater. So after Stephen saw me in a performance, he said, I want to give you uh, the duplicate of the cape that Harold Clerman wore because uh, you just embody him so perfectly. And I was, I'm very blessed to be able to be wearing it now uh, over 20 years as I brought uh, Clerman, as I bring Clerman to life. But yes, um, he, he does, uh, you might say, come and enter me. And he uh, has to live his life. And I have to tell you, I never know if he's going to say the lines that are what we call uh, considered in the play, because to him, he's not in a play. He's come there uh, to, to and he's surprised by finding the students in his apartment whom he talks to. And and then he talks about his life to them and he talks about how he created the group theater. And it's quite a fascinating journey. And then he's off to the theater and I only come back for the curtain call. <laughs> And that's that's such an intriguing way to do it. And yet it and, and that's the thing It's no two shows are alike. And as you say, uh, any any character that you play over a period of time and I've done it myself, uh, mm -hmm. I find different things. If I play if I've played a character for a long period and there is one in particular that I did, uh, uh -huh. he always brings something a little bit different. It's like I'm wearing his like you say, I'm wearing his clothes and I'm yes. about to I'm about to say what I'm going to say and I'm going to do the things that I need to do. But it's like you start to discover different things about the character and you start to realize that, oh, he's got different levels. And all of a sudden you're putting that level out on stage and it's something new. And it's like many folks might not notice it. The audience might not get it, but they're like, 
if you've come enough times or if you've performed opposite <laughs> someone, they're like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. <laughs> so it, it, who, who, who were you? What show were you doing? Well, I am not ashamed to admit it because it opened all of the creative doors of my life. Oh. I did the Rocky Horror Picture Show for many years. Wow. I Great. I was in two different casts in the Boston area. We were the shadow casts. Oh, you know, right. and I had never done anything like that before in my life. And I basically played Riff Raff for about six or seven years. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> I had such a blast playing him. I had very good teachers. I had an exceptional yeah. teacher as the main riff for one of the nights. And mm -hmm. his style and his correctness and his balance and his danceability mm. were yeah. the perfect. It, it was a fellow named David Workman. And, mm. oh, my Lord, he was just so <laughs> inspiring to watch. I'm like, okay, this is the perfect way. And then um, uh, another fellow named Neil Graham came along and played an incredibly physical character. A, right. a strange, bizarre character. And I thought, aha. And I started to just inject my own personality into Riff. And uh -huh. I think we all did that. We all did that to an extent. And yeah. I, as I say, I had very good directors. I had very good teachers. We had yeah. a mix of professional actors and musicians and singers and dancers. And we were all people that just came together, not for money, or anything mm -hmm. like that. We just did it because we were having fun and yeah. we found a place that we all kind of belonged. And, That's beautiful. and, yeah. and a, a good friend of mine, uh, Lisa Risley, who directed me and is one of my oldest friends, she wrote in a play that I did for her and, and played opposite her. She said, the theater is a home for lost children. <laughs> and I've always felt that. Yes, yes. And, and that's kind of where we are. I would like to get this back to you. And when we yeah. come back, I want okay. to start talking about some of the chapters in your book and some of the things that go into this. And we shall do that. Uh, we will be back with Ronald Rand in just a moment. Stay with us. Explore Sunbury Press books and find the work of talented authors in many genres. Ars Metaphysica is our spiritual, new age, and metaphysical fiction imprint. Among our titles, works by Kareem El Kusa, such as The Kabbalistic Visions and Phoenician Code, Chris Fenwick's The 100th Human, and Michelle Willard Hoffer's The ABCs of Narcissism, Soaring Past Toxic Partners. Find these and other intriguing works at the Ars Metaphysica tab and all works of nonfiction and fiction at sunburypress.com. I don't want him to make it into auditioning for a musical. You didn't know I could sing, did you? Well, I can't. <laughs> uh, the stage manager. Now, the guy with the chutzpah, he's casting the show, of course. He can sing. Now he introduces himself. Lee Strasberg. And it's during rehearsals we ended up particularly because he's even more passionate about the theater than I am. And he starts talking about acting. I never realized there was so much to know, but I tell him, I'm not interested in techniques. What matters more to me than a play being well done is what's being done. It must relate to society. It must relate to what's going on. It must relate to us. He fires back, acting's an art. And today the actor is lost. He has no idea what he's doing. Not only he has no idea, he has no idea what an idea is. <laughs> 
We're back, and my guest today is Ronald Rand, and he is the author of a new book on Brown Posey Press called Solo Transformation on Stage, A Journey into the Organic Process of the Art of Transformation. And we've had a bit of background for you on this, Ronald. Now, one of the things that you talk about, you sort of take us through uh, sort of like step-by-step step in, in the process, and one of the first things you talk about was really interesting to me was uh, from passion comes courage, and you talk about the inner voice of letting go, and it's it's almost like a Buddhist thing. It's like that that art of letting go. Maybe you could tell us more about that. Yeah, because the important thing is is what we're dealing with is uh, to allow creation uh, to come into being, and to allow that to happen, uh, it's necessary uh, for you might say a type of release an awareness to come. Uh, you also have to have, in a sense, a cleansing. Um, and what you're dealing with, of course, is an instrument, which is your body, uh, everything that you are. And that requires a preparation. And that requires allowing the time that it takes uh, that is required to bring life into being. And so it's very, very important for me to, uh, to take that time and to allow that creation to take place. Um, I also have to listen to where I am as in my body. Uh, I'm preparing myself, uh, just like, you know, like I talk about in my book, uh, when they're preparing uh, to blast off into space, look at all the time and everything they have to go through for that to occur. Right. In a sense, that's what's happening uh, to allow creation uh, to blast off. And then to also calm down enough and to be, uh, you might say, present enough so that you can allow uh, the sounds and the vibrations and the molecules that are surrounding you uh, to feel you and for you to feel them and to be open enough to at that point to be an open vessel. And at that moment, something is going to occur. And what that is, is you're going to invite someone else to come. And that someone else happens to be this other human being that you're bringing to life. Because as uh, Henrik Ibsen, who I actually have uh, become the librettist of, I wrote the first opera about this great Norwegian playwright. Mm -hmm. He always, when someone, oh, an actress would, or an actor would say, I love your characters. He would always say, I don't write characters. I write human beings. And so did Anton Chekhov, and so did Arthur Miller, and so does every playwright. Um, and we have to realize that we owe these human beings that we're bringing to life a chance for them to live their life. And this is what it requires. Um, and uh, so I'm very, I, I share this a lot when I travel around the world as a U.S. State Department Fulbright Specialist Scholar and also as a visiting guest professor across America, many universities and colleges, uh, reminding uh, young people that uh, they have a responsibility uh, to actually allow this other person uh, to live their life, you see. Mm. And that's so interesting, too, because it's like, <laughs> you know, that is that is the thing we, we've I've, whenever I've I've talked with other actors or other performers and not just the things that we mutually did ourselves together, but we would talk about Shakespeare or we would talk about different things. And it was like we are we are letting them in 
and then, as I say, it's kind of like uh, we become we become the character, or they become us. We, we've we've had that question back and forth. It's like, which is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that we have to allow them to live. We can over, we always know that we're a part of them. Um, and so we we're it's it's sort of a melding of the two, and that's the transformation that has to take place. And I was very blessed when I started out. I, after I uh, came up from Coral Gables, Florida to, to New York City to study with Stella Adler for over five and a half years. And um, I have to tell you, uh, st- <laughs> I had to learn or relearn everything there was to know about acting because I had to find out acting had nothing to do with acting. It had everything to do with being true uh, to the playwright, being true to how to live in the given circumstances of what the playwright has given you. And that was life-changing. And on top of it, uh, Stella Adler was this incredibly larger-than-life individual who imbued upon us uh, the nobility of what it takes to transform yourself uh, and accept the responsibility that, uh, that you have to assume that you dare to walk on a stage and give truth to other and fellow human beings. So that became a very large part of myself and my soul uh, as I was being trained. And at the same time, of course, I was studying with Harold Klerman. And at the same time, I was studying with another great Polish director. His name was Jerzy Grotowski. So between all three of these incredible forces of nature, I, I can tell you, I was really being in a whirlwind of understanding uh, and an acceptance and going further than I ever dreamed possible. But that's, of course, what it takes. And then I, in my book, uh, Solo Transformation on Stage, I invite people on this journey with me into the art of transformation uh, through Konstantin uh, Stanislavski's chart, The Method of Physical Actions, which he actually created at the end of his life after 40 years of experimentation with the actors of the Moscow Art Theater. And at the end of his life, he actually had to go to Paris because of his heart condition. And it just so happened, Stella Adler and Harold Klerman were coming back from Russia and they found out he was there. And at that moment, Stella Adler was not very happy with uh, what she had been learning and uh, working with the Stanislavski system. And she literally, when she finally met Stanislavski, told him, Um, Before I I learned about your system, I loved the theater, but now I hate it. (laughs) And he said to her, well, maybe you don't understand uh, what I've been working on and where I'm at right now with my system. Uh, Why don't we meet? And he actually spent over five weeks and she became the first American uh, actually to study with Stanislavski in such um, a, a degree of understanding And at the end of the time that he was with her, he gave her this particular chart, the method of physical actions, which I share in all of my master acting workshops around the world. And and she talked about her time with Stanislavski in class. And I can tell you that was pretty (laughs) incredible. And and so that's what I go into in depth. Uh, in in my in my new book, and I hope it's very helpful for for young and for experienced actors. And that is a flowchart that I took a, a particular look at myself, and I was 
it 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 was a schematic that for me was a little confusing, and I was like, I have to really look at this, and it, <laughs> and it and I I suppose you do it enough times, and then it's like, oh, okay, now you're into it. But that was something that you you talked about as the book went on is um, becoming Clerman or becoming anyone. It it takes time, and one of the things that you said, and this was something that I had learned years before too, was you talk about I think it's in chapter three or thereabouts. Find a quiet place within oneself. And mm-hmm. that is probably one of the most difficult things for any human being to do, especially in, in the 21st century, is when our entire world around us is so busy and so loud and so active, and uh-huh. you feel that way as well. And it's, and it's, it's also, again, it's sort of, um, uh, he just passed away, Thich Nhat Hanh, where he talks about mm. mindfulness and mindfulness training and how one takes care of these things and well, that spot. Exactly. And uh, I, I, I loved his, his teachings and writings. And uh, I, I've been a big devotee of him and Krishnamurti and a lot of these great thinkers, including Eckhart Tolle and his wonderful book, A, a New Earth. And um, But you see, when you go into the creation room, um, that is a place that you have to prepare to allow creation to take place. That's why whenever I'm on the road touring and I've been to 25 countries with my show, and I can tell you some of those spaces have been quite unusual, needless to say, when you're preparing, whether it's in the, an ante room of a palace or you're in a cave or unusual places, yeah. um, I can tell you, you do have to prepare the space to allow creation to take place and to allow this other human being to come. So that's why it's necessary to take that time, to take that space and to allow yourself to relax enough. And that's one of the beautiful things about uh, putting on makeup or putting on someone's clothing, the time that you allow it uh, to touch you in a very deep way also is part of the process, which I call the organic process of the art of transformation. So in a sense, you're never struggling or you you don't think of it as anything other than uh, this giving over Mm -hmm. and allowing yourself a chance for this to occur. And that's always happened to me, uh, no matter how many times I've been able to allow Harold Clerman to come. And that's been one of the gifts, of course, when I when I studied with Stella Adler, is she always reminded us that talent lies in the choices you make. And so whether it's in life or whether it's on stage, you have and you're gifted with talents. But what are the choices? <laughs> so you do have to take your time to decide what those choices will bring you each day and each moment. And so it's the same when you're in the process of transformation uh, to allow that to occur. And that's very, very important to me. Um, I, I just want to share a, a, a funny story with you, if I might. Please do. When I was, when I was <laughs> studying with Stella Adler, uh, of course, she was the teacher of Marlon Brando and, um, and other actors like Robert De Niro and Warren Beatty and so many others. And she taught us the same exercise that she did with Brando which uh, at that point was, um, she said, okay, I want all of you to be chickens. 
And so start acting like chickens. So of course we ran around and we started, you know, walk, 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 like chickens and you know, how to go, walk, walk, that's right. And, uh, and so after a point in time, she said, okay, right now there's a bomb falling. And so all of us started running around chattering, going crazy, you know, going, trying to find some place to hide. And, and, um, and of course, when Brando did it, he went off in a corner, sat down and laid an egg. And all the other actors who were acting like chickens came over to try to pull him, to get him away and make him understand. And finally, Stella Adler said to Brando, Marlon, there's a bomb falling. Why aren't you running around like everyone else? And he said, because a chicken doesn't know what a bomb is. You see, he understood and he was thinking as a chicken. And when you allow and give yourself over as this other human being, you begin to think and behave like this other person. Wow. Is that's one of the things that had to have set Brando apart from some act from other actors was that ability to think in such a different way. It is. Uh, he, he was a, an extraordinarily innately gifted and Stella Adler would always say in class, I never taught Brando anything he didn't know, which wasn't entirely true. <laughs> she would uh, certainly uh, urge him forward to do more than he thought was humanly possible. And, um, and that was the great gift of what she would always do to us. I was doing a scene with Bill Paxton, you know, who went on yes. to do T Twister and some other extraordinary films. And he was a wonderful actor uh, and in class. And I wrote a lot of scenes and, and monologues for him to do. And at one point in time, we were working on Edward Albee's play, The Zoo Story. And we spent months and months in Central Park in the middle of the winter together trying to capture uh, these two human beings, uh, Peter and Jerry. And when we were finally ready to do it in class, Stella Adler got up and she said, uh, you sit down to Bill. And she walked around me as if she was Jerry, examining me, uh, smoking my pipe, seeing what my action was, what I was doing in Central Park. And she finally started saying some of the lines, the words that were in the play, as if she was Jerry, testing me. And here I was acting in a scene from the zoo story with Stella Adler. And this went on for about five or 10 minutes. And finally she said, okay, see, he knows how to live where he is. And that was the whole point. Eventually you learn that it has nothing to do with acting. It all has to do with living where you are. Hmm. And I have to go to the next part about this because I think this kind of fits into a question I must ask with this. Um, sure. We're talking about these things, and it's like you also devote a part of your book to Shakespeare, and in particular, uh, some of the great performances of Othello, uh, and you particularly bring up James Earl Jones, and opposite him as Iago was Christopher Plummer, and... I think a lot of it has to do with it's the part of the ego or something of that sort. And I may have gone off track there, but there's something about that that just sort of fits what you were just talking about. There is that these two incredibly strong characters and the two strong men who play them. Yes, uh, they, they were incredibly talented and gifted as actors and had enormous um, 
uh, facets of understanding these two human beings. And I saw that performance and it took me literally places where I had never had an understanding of how evil uh, someone could be to twist the mind of someone else right in front of me. And that's what Plummer was able to do. He plumbed the depths of someone uh, that evil and cunning. And of course, that was the gift of the playwright, but they were able to get inside what was happening between these two individuals. And uh, it's always fascinated me about uh, if you decide to take on the persona of someone uh, that evil. Um, and I, over the years, of course, I worked on Iago and I worked on Othello and I've worked on many different human beings. And um, it had an effect on me, especially if someone was that bad. I mean, of course, if you're going to play someone of the dark side. And I discuss this as I do in my book with one of the greatest writers of our time, Ellie Wiesel, about oh, what, yeah. what if you take someone like that on, do you think it has an effect on you and on those watching? And uh, Ellie Wiesel was kind enough uh, to say to me, and, and I'll quote him, why should a spectator be seduced if he or she realizes if they understand it takes place in a character, in a play or in a movie and not in real life? Only those who want to be seduced will be. But he does say there are instances when fictional characters can have a negative effect. And that's why I decided once I uh, took on uh, bringing Harold Clerman to life, because he's such a life-affirming humanist, yes. that I said, I can't play uh, or embody anyone else who's evil any longer. And so I've had to turn down projects, um, you might say, of the dark side. I had to not play human beings that embody that, uh, because I have to keep myself in this particular place of where Harold Clerman is. And that's why it is a personal choice for each of us, what we bring into the world and what we're willing to share with others. Mm -hmm. We are speaking with Ronald Rand, and we are going to talk more on the Brown Posey Press Show when we come back. Stay with us. Sunbury Press Books brings you the work of authors from many genres. If you are into horror, thrillers, or fantasy, check out our Hellbender Books imprint, Thomas Malafarina's Maliformed Reality series, The Thirteenth Child by Nick Korolev, The State Changer series by Chris Fenwick, or the psychological thrillers of Keith Rommel. Find these and other works at the Hellbender Books tab and all works of fiction and nonfiction at sunburypress.com. Stella and I are on our way home. And it's just by chance, by chance, we stop off in Paris. We have the unbelievably good fortune of finding out Stanislavski's also in town. Well, I tell Stella, we've got to meet him. An appointment's arranged. Well, when we arrive, he sees Stella with me and he, he rises to this great pipe. He must have been six feet four, wrinkly, handsome, with beautiful snow white hair, has a throaty, deep baritone of a voice. As a decided appeal for Stella, because her father had also been majestically tall with beautiful white hair. Ah, <laughs> oh, he says, the daughter of Jacob Adler has come to see. <laughs> I look at Stella. She just stands there. Go over, shake his hand. No, I mustn't. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. 
Stanislavski introduces himself with a bow. Young lady, everyone has spoken but you. Still nothing, I swear you could have heard a pin drop. Finally, Stella blurts out, Mr. Stanislavski, before I studied your system, I loved the theater. Now I hate it. <laughs> I want to melt in the ground right then and there. But all Stanislavski does is blink and very calmly he says, Well, my dear, if it's not working for you, forget it. <laughs> Which made a lot of sense to me. We're back, and we're speaking with Ronald Rand once again and talking about, uh, in terms of uh, performance, and we were talking about some of the characters that, that have embody some evil and that sort of thing. It kind of leads me to the next question I wanted to ask. Um, in your book, you uh, prescribe a sort of seeking of balance, and one of the things you advise is reading poetry, reading a play, but also to write. And was this is this for the development of something that you're going to do, or is this is this for life itself, maybe? I think that we, uh, as we decide to continue growing as human beings and as artists to be a creative uh, expression of ourselves, uh, we need to allow all the gifts that are inside us that we may not even be aware of to come out. Uh, sometimes I and I encourage people in my workshops that you may think that, oh, I can't draw or, you know, all I do is do a stick figure. But that doesn't mean that when you actually decide to pick up a paintbrush and put some color on it on a canvas, you might find something that you hadn't explored about yourself to express in a whole new um, facet of yourself. Or if you sit down and you say, I'm going to describe uh, this tree in front of me and put it into words you might surprise yourself and go, oh, my God, I, I actually can do that. Um, so I do encourage people uh, to explore everything that might exist in themselves. Uh, and that's what's happened to me. I had no idea that I would ever write the libretto of an opera or that I would actually write three books already. Um, my first book was called Acting Teachers of America. Yes. Um, and my second book is called Create, which has 130 interviews with some of the most creative, uh, extraordinary people on this planet with 100 works of art. And as I was, of course, interviewing so many people, uh, I learned from them as well how inspired they became by discovering that they also had other facets of themselves uh, that they allowed to come out. So I do believe that that is so important. Um, I'll tell you a very funny story. Please do. When, <laughs> uh, when I was uh, a, young, a young boy uh, in junior high school and high school in Florida growing up, um, I used to, of course, uh, imitate people all, my, uh, all those years. And um, I ended up doing a stand-up act on Miami Beach um, because I, I, my, some of my heroes at that time were uh, impressionists like Rich Little and David Fry and yes. Frank Gorshin, mm -hmm. and so I, I would do people, well, 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 you know, like like Jimmy Stewart, uh, you know, in, in his movie Harvey, and and a six foot white puka, you know, or uh, or Carol Channing, you know, and and people like that. 
And uh, I had this whole act and I thought, you know, and I did eventually end up spending over about 10 seasons on Saturday Night Live in so many different uh, sequences with many, many of those different stars over the years. But I thought I was going to go on and go into comedy, which I, of course, have acted in a lot of comedy shows. Um, but I had no idea, of course, that it would lead me to creating my own show as Harold Clerman. So you see, you just never know where life will take you. And one of the things that I've learned over the years from doing interviews, and it's like I've interviewed, you know, I've interviewed musicians and I've interviewed authors and, and so many different people. And it's like you find that you learn something from each one of those people. And especially when it comes to authors, I learn something new from every guest. And it's like suddenly I've, I'm getting pushed down another hallway that I didn't even know there was a door to. And it's like, Oh, I better go read that. Or I better check, I better check this out. And uh, it, it is, it is always open the door for me to, I mean, with, with music, it was the same thing. It's like, you mm -hmm. know, always listen, listen to, you know, I play guitar. Well, not very well, but I play. And it's what? like, listen to different guitar players, listen to different styles and you will develop your own from, from listening to so many and books are the same way. And, I've occasionally just, I've told people this and I've occasionally just done it myself is if I'm in a bookshop and I'm looking for something to read and it's like, I'm not really finding what I want. I'm like, I'll just look down a row of books and I'll be like this one. And I'll, yeah. it, and it's something calls to me and I'll yank it out and be like, oh, let's check this out. <laughs> and sometimes you get, sometimes you get a great book. It's the same thing with music. Um, uh -huh. A friend of mine that I played music with, I literally pulled a CD out of a rack one day and uh -huh. I said, I have no idea who this is, but she looks cool. And this looks like an interesting <laughs> recording project, the way it was done. And, right. you know, she and one of our other friends are looking at me and they're like, okay. And we, we <laughs> bought what we needed. We got in the car, we put it in and the first track was really, really good. It was a woman named Susan yeah. Cagle. Who's, uh -huh. And uh, I think she's her name is now Susan Justice. This was a long time ago, and it was just this really awesome thing. She recorded in the New York City subway with her band, and wow. they just rolled tape on it, and it sounded uh -huh. great. And yeah. my friend said, that's what I like about you. It's like you're willing to take a chance. And I was like, maybe not as much as you think, but over time it, it comes about, and it does work. Yeah. So It does. Yeah, It does. Yeah, I tell I tell young people when I travel around the world uh, and I go to very unusual places. Um, I've been fortunate to go to Zimbabwe or mm -hmm. Thailand or Bosnia and um, or Uruguay. And and um, and right now I'm talking to some other countries and I'll be going to Iceland in my show. I've been invited to be in the Act Alone Festival in August in, in, in Surad. Sertorea. So um, I tell them that it is very, very important to keep yourself open uh, because what it does is it, it allows you to find ways to learn about yourself in, in a, such a beautiful way. And this whole stream of consciousness that's waiting to get outside to take you forward. Uh, it's a great guide uh, to allow you to fill your life and to get rid of all doubts and it's really the power of art. And uh, I think that that's what allows us to inspire others to come together and really keep healing this world. Mm -hmm. And that was a thing I wanted to ask about, the staging of Our Town in Uruguay. 
uh-huh. how did that come about in terms of how did how was it that play how did you end there because that's it's 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 two things that don't seem quite right but they seem to work they just seem to work <laughs> for that audience well what was so interesting of course is that Thornton Wilder's play uh is is eternal in a yes. sense uh it's talking about um really who we are as human beings and and what it really means to be alive. And they could identify with that, even though they had absolutely never been to America, had no idea what this New England was about. And I did take the time through a translator, of course, uh, her name was Ilsa, what a beautiful human being. And she took the time uh, to explain to them as I was talking, what life was like at the turn of the century up in New England. And they began to see that it's exactly what life was like in Uruguay at the turn of the century. And that they began to see that that's what their grandparents talked about. And so as that uh, rehearsals transcended and went forward, they took on the persona of these human beings in New England so beautifully. And when it came time to do the workshop production, the audience who came, and of course it was all in Spanish, absolutely could identify with the life of what was happening to these individuals in this small town up in New England. And it was really transcendent. And it was a very beautiful a moment. And uh, it all happened. And here we are, you know, in Uruguay, but it didn't matter. Um, and the same thing happened when I directed the play, Murray Shiskel's play, Love, in Bosnia. Yes. I was invited to do it at uh, the Chamber Theater 55, and it, it ran for eight sold-out years with some extraordinary young actors, including Zana Marjanovic. Um, the the uh, the the whole story of what is happening, the, the comedy of these people in Brooklyn on the Brooklyn Bridge spoke to them as, as it was happening to them in that moment. And that's the beauty of theater is that it happens in Let It Be Art. Every time I do the play, Harold Clerman comes alive and he uh, Im- immediately makes them feel as if they're in the apartment with him. And that's what's so wonderful about theater. It's truly the art of eternal communication. Yes. And uh, talking about the one man shows or the one person shows, whichever way we'd like to say it. uh, Sure. I I haven't seen too many of them, but it's like you gave this wonderful long list at the beginning of of some of the best uh, one one person plays. And Mm -hmm. uh, one in particular, you you mentioned James Whitmore playing Harry S. Truman, I believe. And that's right. I yeah, and saw Helen Holbrook. Yes. Mark Twain. Yes. Yes. And I and saw he... the Whitmore production uh, oh. on, on television and I yeah. was, I knew Whitmore from certain things, but I had never seen this before. <laughs> and I just watched how he changed. He became Truman so beautifully from, from the way that he spoke and his, the the smile that that huge powerful beaming smile that we, he would have and yeah it's like oh and and and, yeah. and i would shake my head and just think how on earth do they do these things but <laughs> and it's it, yeah. that's such a cool thing and as i say you had you you gave over so, so much of your book to some of your fellows and i being friends with some of these folks must have made it easier to do the interviews but at the same time it must have been it might have been daunting at times. I wanted to ask you, we talked about Christopher Plummer, so let's go to him. Sure. What insights did he give 
to you that maybe you didn't recognize or didn't expect? Well, he was uh, certainly one of the most giving human beings and artists that I got to know. And uh, he he also uh, told it like it was, you might say, mm -hmm. but he always had a great sense of humor and was very caring and loving. And and he even said to me on the phone uh, when I told him we were going to go on tour, which unfortunately didn't happen because of the pandemic, I was going to take the opera Ibsen um, all across Asia on, an, on a tour. Uh, and I asked him to be on the honorary committee. And he said, oh, yes, of course, I'd love to be on your committee. But uh, you can use my name as much as you'd like, as long as you don't put it in the curry. And uh, he he was always wickedly uh, fun to be around. And um, one of the beautiful things about uh, Chris, Christopher Plummer is that he had this rich history because he certainly had worked with Elia Kazan and Tyrone Guthrie and uh, Kazem Rajewski, uh, and he understood the depth um, of what was required uh, to uh, bring yourself into the play uh, to such a degree uh, that uh, it overtook you. And, and that's one of the great things. And, and when we were doing the interview together, uh, what I loved especially about is that he said, I always, always go back to the theater. I love the music of the words and the poetry. And he says, it isn't always theater for me. I adore painting and music and the beauty of nature. And I think that really encompasses of all of the different aspects of what theater is, because it carries all of those worlds within it. And, and that's the way it's always spoken to me about. And, and then, uh, you know, someone like Stephen Lang, who's a, such a dear friend, and he wrote the foreword to the book. Uh, in the interview, he said to me, um, he talked about someone like Daniel Boone. And, and he, he says, he's reputed to have said, just because I don't know where I am doesn't mean I'm lost. <laughs> and I think about that uh, every time I'm sitting in a dressing room, whether I'm in Turkey or I'm in um, uh, Thailand or wherever I happen to be, that um, I, I, might, I might have a feeling of being lost, but Harold Clerman never does. <laughs> And isn't that the thing? It's like we were talking about uh, the the bringing of our town to South America. Yeah. And, and that is the beauty of, of, of a lot of our art, uh, our books. Uh, one of the things I try to do when I write is I try to make characters, but I try to make them as human as possible. I try mm. to give every, even the side characters, I give them a reason for being there. And yes. I try to make them as human as I possibly can. And I hope that I have done that with some of them because it's, uh, it's not all just me. It's, it's a lot of, it's the people around me. It's the people close to me that have had a, a mark on me. And it's like, we put that into our story. We put that on stage or we put that on a, on a printed page that's and, right. And we bring people to it, it is that bring people together kind of thing. It's very, very important today. And um, that's one of the reasons I was very blessed to have someone like Anita Hollander in the book who actually has only one leg. And uh, when you think about these extraordinary artists like Troy Kotschur, mm -hmm. who just won the Oscar in Coda, um, are are challenged in such a way. But yet they they go forward, no matter what, with great courage uh, to say and to do what has to be done. And 
it's it's an admirable, um, courageous trait inside each of us as human beings um, that we have these stories that we have to tell. Um, and I, I think about what Harold Clerman, you know, says, um, and if I may quote uh, from my play, um, he, he says, here we are riding on this little speck of dust in the, in the middle of this magnificent, mysterious universe. And we come into it all separately, don't we? What gives us our definition? Our participation. That's what illuminates the greatest works of our art. It's up to us how we shape our daily lives. And I think that really sums it up. We each have a chance each day uh, to give so much away to others and to make this world uh, so much more of a beautiful place. That really rather sums it up. Uh, <laughs> I guess the, the, the last question that I really have for you is, what is the best one piece of advice you might give to someone, even if it's not acting related, that wants to perform, to write, to do something, what would you say to them? Well, I, I always think about, um, uh, in a sense, what we have in this moment uh, that's uniting us as human beings. And uh, I was very gifted to uh, uh, interview Louise Rayner, one of the great actresses we've ever had on the screen. Mm -hmm. And I, I asked her, um, you know, what uh, does it take uh, to go forward? And she said to me, we all have to walk erect to see the sky, to know how little we are and how great, to look outside and not always within. That should be our goal and our health. Pain is a natural, it must be carried. And even if we do have pain, there is so much love inside of us and we can give that love and keep giving it away to others. I think we're gonna leave it at that. Uh, my guest today, the actor, the playwright, the librettist, the performer, Ronald Rand, his book on Brown Posey Press, Solo Transformation on Stage, A Jury into the Organic Process of the Art of Transformation. Ronald, this has been a blast. Thank you so much. Thank you. And for me, too. It's just a joy. And I'm so grateful to, to you and Brown Posey Press Show, to Sunbury Press and to Lawrence Knorr. It's just been a great, great afternoon speaking with you. You've been listening to the Brown Posey Press Show with your host, Tori Gates. Find his works, including Searching for Roy Buchanan, Call It Love, A Moment in the Sun, and Lie from the Cafe, along with more independent authors of fiction and nonfiction at sunburypress.com. Thank you for listening. This is the BookSpeak Network. <laughs> <laughs>